you are listening to Kubernetes Byte, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is May 19th, 2023. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Bob, and before we get into today's topic and news and guests, what is going on? How are you doing? I don't know. When you just said May 19th, I was like, shit, like we are <laughs> halfway, almost halfway done with the year. And I, I need to go back and check my New Year's resolutions and what they were. <laughs> because well, they're I'm toast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were toast the day after. <laughs> I know, but like half half the year. Shit. Okay, yeah. Okay, no, I need, okay. Pick up Bhavan, come on, let's do it. <laughs> uh, I don't know, the, the like with, with the weather that it has been, right? Uh, I did my first lawn mowing. I know people on the people who listen to this pod know about my oh, trials and tribulations. Won. That's right. That's great. That's yeah. big. And, hey, that's big. Congrats. You know, big no, no. <laughs> no, I hated it again. So I think um, <laughs> I ignored it for a month. So now the weeds have grown and it, they're really difficult to pull out. So I, I'm, I'm leaning towards getting some professional help. So if you have any recommendations for good Boston landscapers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> send them over you know ryan and all the listeners i'm 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 all yours you but can yeah, make that, it a community project and get the local kids over and mow your lawn it's not as big <laughs> it's just i'm i'm very lazy compared to like how big the lawn is so no i need some help to to at least get it in a good shape and then i can maybe maintain it so day zero and i need help with day zero i can do day two operations <laughs> Yeah, I saw um, I saw a funny uh, uh, reel the other day on Instagram that was huh. like you know about people mulching and making their lawns look really yeah. nice. And it was something like you know mulching, what you do to hurt your back and make your lawn look good for a day. You know, <laughs> that's accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I it, hate those reels, dude. Like whenever you scroll by, like people's lawns looking so awesome, they have these new pavers and everything. I was like, damn it, that's so much work, effort. You know, it's yeah. effort. And I always felt like unless you're staying at home constantly. I don't know. Which we do. Having a lot of people, you know, like I'm out of the house more often than not. Yeah. So like, you know, not worth it. Keep it up with the Joneses ain't worth it. Um <laughs> let it grow, you know, let it grow. It's crap. Um yeah, it is flying by. I know yeah. we have uh Red Hat Summit next week, mm -hmm. uh, which you know we'll talk about a little bit uh with our guests, but you know, we'll yeah. both be there. That's exciting. Um and probably when this is out, it'll be at Red Hat Summit. So, yeah. so <laughs> if you find yeah. <laughs> me or Ryan just say hi I'm pretty sure we'll bring the same stickers so we'll have some stickers for you uh, if you find us so for sure absolutely and if you come find us and you're interested in coming on the show we'll we'll do that too you know yeah. we'll, we'll put something up no worries there um, all right well um, I think without that with all that done I think let's dive into the news a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. So I have a few, uh, like not announcements, but news to share. First one of uh, the list being uh, a new startup uh, with, with a famous co-founder, I guess. So uh, Craig McClucky, right? He was the co-founder of Heptio. He has now started a new startup around the software supply chain security, along with the founder of the six-store project, Luke Hines. So both of them uh, started a new startup called Stacklock. 
And again, they picked up Series A $17.5 million and they aim to add provenance data for developers to make the whole software supply chain secure. Again, uh, kudos, kudos on the naming there. I'm yeah, a, again, I know. big naming stack lock, you know, it's security oriented, supply chain mm-hmm. oriented. Very good. Also, yes, um, famous in our neck of the woods. If you ask yeah. your grandmother, they will have no idea who that <laughs> But if they're listening, look up stack lock. <laughs> No, uh, I think uh, they didn't do a seed since the amount of money raised was so high. They just went with the series A. So there was no yeah. seed, just series A. They just came out of stealth and they do have like four or five senior engineer positions open. So if you are okay. looking for a change, yeah, there is a new startup in town. Yeah. Open positions is you know, tough in today's market. So go yes. get them. <laughs> and then uh, another one was Traffic Labs. Uh, they announced a couple of things. So they announced uh, general availability of Traffic Hub, which is its cloud native API management solution. The whole point here is you can plug and play different proxies. So Traffic's own a Traffic's own proxy, but even Nginx, HA Proxy, Ambassador, and others. So it gives you a unified management tool for your APIs, but then you can swap out uh, all, all uh, different tools based on your uh, requirements, I guess. But yeah, uh, and then the last one being around the security space, uh, KSOP, which I thought was a standard because it, I think it's security, a community security operations center, but it's actually a startup. They released a new standard called Kubernetes Bill of Materials or KBOMS. I know uh, we have spoken a lot about SBOM. We did that with uh, uh, the Christopher, the co-founder of Mondo as well. Um, but now, now we have a new acronym in town called KBOM. Uh, it basically provides a quick view of scope of your Kubernetes cluster. So it gives you workload count, cost and type of hosting service, vulnerabilities of both internal and hosted images and so on and so forth. But a yeah, new standard that gives you a complete overview of what your Kubernetes cluster and applications look like. So yeah, that's news from, from me. Yeah, I know SBOMs we talked about before in the context mm-hmm. of Kubernetes, but I think this one's like designed very specifically for Kubernetes. And uh, yeah, I thought um, I thought it was like an official organization as well, yeah. right? Not just startup, which, you know, it's probably on purpose. It's exactly what they want people to think. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, yeah, we working. are the standard. We are the company that should be building standards. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, cool. So I have a, a couple of things worth noting here. Um, 127 um, is sort of like frozen or something. Is it out? I forget. Oh. No, it was out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, um, and the stateful set auto deletion for PBCs is in beta. Um, mm-hmm. So if you use stateful sets, I think that's an interesting thing where you can kind of um, set up auto deletion rules, uh, yep. so to speak, uh, about how often those things get cleaned up after the stateful set doesn't use them and things like that. Um, I kind of equate this to when you leave and accidentally you leave your EC2 volumes around for a while yeah. and they cost you a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, <laughs> um, they might not cost you dollars, yeah, <laughs> but um, they're costing you something. So, uh, of course, be careful with auto deletion. Mm-hmm. Of course, we don't want to um, delete your data. Uh, yeah. Some uh, news around the AI space. I think, you know, there's a ton of news about AI here, but I focused in on this article because it's a company um, called Cast AI, Mm -hmm. which focuses directly on reducing compute costs running generative AI models on Kubernetes. So um, I found this interesting because of, you know, just the use case 
around chat GPT and generative AI models like Bard and others are so new. And yet there's companies focused on reducing the cost to run these things. Um, I feel like it was a, such a quick turnaround. Uh, just mm-hmm. an interesting article about, you know, how running these things and keeping the compute, you know, um, available, you know, as you, if you ever interacted with chat GPT, you can see if you have a free one. So it's not always available. It's yep. it's not easy to run these things or, or to make available to the masses. So it, I think some interesting problems as we start to adopt them uh, mm-hmm. more and more as a society. So a uh, pretty cool article there. Yeah. And as um, we know, right, like OpenAI, uh, that, like Microsoft maybe has a 49% share in OpenAI. And that's because they gave them so many Azure credits to run the service. So yes, like running these yeah. things are expensive. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this one's specifically to like running on a Kubernetes because, yeah. uh, you know, that is a, I guess, a way in which uh, the mm-hmm. architectures are commonly being built. So, And I think we covered their funding round back in February yeah, or March. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Very cool. Uh, and Jay, you know, I, I imagine there's going to be a plethora of uh, AI companies yeah. uh, announcing themselves, <laughs> you know, from now until the next few years and probably beyond that. But mm-hmm. um, All right. Next one is um, if you've used HashiCorp Vault at all, um, you might be, um, you know, kicking yourself about managing the secrets that you um, use that for with Kubernetes. And uh, they came out with an open source project called Vault Secret Store Operator. Um, Operators are the future. We've talked about that. We've had entire episodes on operators early on, I think, in this podcast, which is probably worth another look. You know, I've seen where operators have come from. Yeah, for sure. This is is one specifically that uh, is you know, given back by HashiCorp Vault and basically makes uh, managing the Kubernetes secrets easier, uh, which, you know, no one's going to, I think, disagree with making things easier. So uh, (laughs) go check that out. Um, The uh, next article I have is around basically using managed Kafka or running it yourself. And I Mm -hmm. I know um, I specifically picked this one. It's a new stack article, um, mostly because we've talked about running stateful workloads on this podcast a lot. And then we've also talked about, you know, the, the trade-offs of, you know, whether you use managed Kubernetes and and other managed services or databases as a service. I think this article does a really good job of sort of the thought process behind why you'd want to do something like that and what you'd have to take on from sort of like a, um, um, a hiring standpoint, like you need an SRE, you need a software yeah. engineer, you need an admin, those kind of things. Um, and kind of weighing those pros and cons and the kind of you know company you are. So I, I think it's a good article. Um, you know, go, go check it out. Definitely mm-hmm. uh, worth worth looking at. Um, and then I wanted to put a couple re- or one release in here, which is Knative 110. I'm not going to go mm-hmm. into what is in 110, but uh, we've talked about Knative on here. Yep. Um, past so 110 is released and that was actually a few weeks ago we just missed it <laughs> um and hey, that uh, was a cold start problem <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um and the last one i have on here is i might start doing this like putting cool use cases yeah. uh, in our news article and um, anyway cool use case of the week i'll call it is an edge kubernetes deployment of robots picking fruit um it's just a very very interesting use case around basically solving a problem of fruit mm-hmm. not being picked in time and basically controlling waste and in, in, in farming and fruit and that kind of thing but it's it's kubernetes at the edge so it's a very uh, i think when i read a story about um you know infrastructure from a technology mm-hmm. side about a real kind of interesting use case about solving a, a real problem it always kind of connects things better for me so uh, yeah. maybe i'll call this a uh, cool use case of the week segment or something like that <laughs> <laughs> but go check that out really cool article and that's all i have for the news um 
So with that, we have some awesome guests today. We're going to be uh, talking about CubeVert. Um, I know Bob and you brought these guests to us and I'm excited for this. CubeVert is a very popular sort of topic mm -hmm. today about running virtual machines in Kubernetes or next to Kubernetes or next to your container. So we're going to dive all about that into uh, CubeVert with uh, Sachin and Peter. And without um, further ado, let's get them on the show. We'll be right back after this short break. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back. All right. Welcome to Kubernetes Bytes, uh, Sasha and Peter. It's great to have you on here. Why don't you introduce uh, yourselves for our audience here? Sachin, why don't you go first? Sure. My name is Sachin Malik. I work at Red Hat. Uh, I manage the product management team. That's about all things virtualization. Our primary product is based off of KubeFort called OpenShift Virtualization. That's what we'll be talking about today. Great, great. How about you, Peter? Sure. I'm Peter Lauterbeck. I'm one of the product managers here on the OpenShift team uh, on Sachin's team. Focus on a couple of different things here at Red Hat. Um, uh, traditional virtualization or Red Hat virtualization, Rev. Mm -hmm. OpenShift on Rev, which is a deployment option that some customers use. And then OpenShift virtualization or upstream KubeVert. Um, in a former life, I actually did a stint at a couple of different storage companies and different startups. Um, so I've been in kind of the virtualization space for probably actually at the time that uh, EMC bought VMware. Oh, okay, nice. So there's a lot, of, a lot of crossover here too. We were yeah. just talking uh, with Sachin about, uh, I was there in 2012 uh, and I left before the uh, Dell and EMC kind of yeah, did everything. Everybody asked me, did it? Did I know? And I, because I left like the week before it announced, but I, I did not. It just happened. <laughs> yeah. And, but it was an interesting thing. Uh, one of my buddies who I respect and I believe he's still there, you know, said, Hey, we just bought this VMware thing and, and it's really cool. And he, he explained software virtual machines to me. And mm -hmm. I'm like, sure. I don't, I don't get it. Right. And he's like, just download, uh, what was it? The uh, workstation at the time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I did that. And, Holy cow, within an hour, I had, you know, Windows, Linux, and FreeBSD running on my workstation. It was, it was amazing. Awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. And uh, Ryan, to talk about, um, I don't know, connections, right? I've reported to two of the people on, on this uh, call right oh, now. Oh, no so. way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I used to work for Sachin at, over at Lenovo. And then I know Ryan, at, for some period at Portworks, I did report to you. So I have two managers. Peter, maybe you're next. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, okay. Um, so we are here to talk about Qbert, right? So why not start with that 10,000 foot view? Like what is Qbert, what it's used for? What are some of the use cases? Let's start there and then we can go into a bit more detail. Okay, I can I can start. So Qbert is actually the upstream project um, for our product or mm -hmm. uh, OpenShift virtualization. As you know, everything that Red Hat does has an upstream community uh, and project associated with it. Yeah. And what, what Qbert is, is actually we've taught Kubernetes how to run KVM virtual machines. It's actually pretty simple, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
Kubernetes is great with containers and does all sorts of good things. And like, I don't think I need to explain to anybody about that, but <laughs> VMs and virtualization, there's still a lot of gravity for both data and a lot of business logic that's running inside of virtual machines. Mm -hmm. And you can either have a choice of, hey, let's just leave this behind and shed it and go directly do everything in containers, which, by the way, is completely unrealistic, or you bring virtual machines along with you, right? Yeah. And the idea of there's a couple of different use cases, which is, hey, I've got an existing three-tier application, you know, database, middleware, web front end, mm -hmm. and I actually want to modernize it, right? So I want to be able to you know, hit it with a hammer, put maybe a mobile front end on it, take my middleware and break it up into more microservice stuff. Sure. Yeah. That's one of them. The other one is, you know, I have a, uh, you know, an application delivery platform that's based on virtualization today. Mm -hmm. And then I want to be able to do containers as well. You can run your container platform on your virtual platform. And a lot of people do that. But yep. Now you really have to manage two platforms. Right. And can you connect applications across the two? Sure. But that's like you, you now own that. Right. And that's your job. So now you have application delivery, say a composite application that has VMs and mm -hmm. and uh, containers all running on the same platform. Yeah. Right. So and we'll probably talk a little bit about the details of how that happens. Gotcha. But virtual machines uh, and Kubernetes use all of the Kubernetes abstractions services, routes, things like that. Uh, so it's actually very easy to connect virtual machines and containers together. And then the last one is, you know, there are some applications that run inside of VMs that mm -hmm. they're never going to be containerized, right? Sure. In fact, it yeah. might be a Windows.net that, you know, the guy that wrote it is retired <laughs> and yeah. nobody yeah. wants to touch it. Yeah. And there's no need to. Yeah. And that's fine. You could just migrate and replatform that application because it's still running a core piece of your business and run it on Kubernetes alongside. So now you have one platform that you're going to manage, but you can actually run a mix of workloads inside of it. Gotcha. I, think, I think this falls under the teaching a new dog old tricks category. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, one of the things, if you think about it, Kubernetes is awesome with containers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't do certain, it didn't do up until recently, a bunch of stuff like it didn't know how to manage metal, right? Yep. You always ran Kubernetes in a cloud somewhere. Um, so we actually took, you know, Red Hat as a, as a company, we took a lot of the innovation we did for, say, Ironic, which is metal management. Yep. And we taught Kubernetes how to manage bare metal, Yep. right? Qvert is the same thing. We've taught KVM is a very mature technology that's been around for what, a 12 years. It's been in the Linux kernel for quite some time. Mm -hmm. We're just going to teach Kubernetes how to speak to KVM, you know, KVM. Yeah. And, you know, the next the next one is OVN, Kubernetes, you know, uh, OVN, right? Software-defined networking in Linux yeah. mm -hmm. runs on multiple platforms. But guess what? It also runs on OpenShift. Nice. Okay. Like, those are some clearly defined use cases. Thank you for that. Uh, one thing that I... I wanted to ask since we have the experts on, right? Like a lot of people in the community think about Qvert as like a replacement to VMware. Like they they are like, okay, if I start adopting Qvert, I can maybe go away from VMware vSphere. Is that the case? I know like vendors like Nutanix and Microsoft and even Red Hat have tried uh, moving people away from vSphere to a different virtualization stack. 
do you see that happening is that even possible what are, what are some of the thoughts there yes sure so actually it's a hot topic of the day yeah <laughs> right with the, a lot of things changing in the industry mm-hmm. including red hat actually moving away from some of its traditional virtualization products mm-hmm. and there's a reason why we decided to do that because we feel the value to a customer is not in the hypervisor layer right so that's the value that started in the 19s like uh, peter was describing with the workstation mm-hmm. where you become independent of your server or your desktop machine and you can run multiple of it so if yeah. the reason kubernetes exists is now people started seeing the value is actually coming by doing things in a more cloud native way mm-hmm. and it's coming from automation declarative way of managing using the kubernetes principles right. so what we are trying to do is as peter said uh, the new applications are most likely being written in kubernetes like my son comes out of college that's how he's going to do all the stuff coming out yeah. Sure, but sure. this around if you believe like the big uh, companies that do this research like 77% of the IT workload is still in VMs yep. it will go down to like 65% by 2025 so two third of your applications are going to be virtual machines so what we are trying to do is help people have a journey where they can take this stuff that's not going away in one year two year probably a 10 to 15 year journey get start getting familiar with the new way of doing things because the vms will be what they're familiar with right you have to do a start stop restart mm-hmm. snapshot all the same things the vm that somebody does still has to happen but then you can start adding like principles like gitops tecton pipelines and then you have a way of managing things that you never had before So that's the journey we want people to be on we don't think people can take their existing platform and replace it in one day it's going to take couple years five years but do they want to stick to what they have today that's yep. going to be probably very difficult if they start looking three years ahead they may not be making the right decisions today so that's why we created this technology Yeah and I you know I, we've had a few other guests where we've talked about the topic of sort of what does the future look like and I yeah. think in every one of those instances it 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 also always includes hmm. virtual machines right yeah. but then it also takes on sort of new technologies like web assembly right and kind of um enables you to run sort of the right tool and use the right tool for the right job I think we're we're seeing that trend of you know you know develop mint teams and those kind of things want to be able to use the tools for the job and to peter's point before right you know you might have an application where like don't break it it's not broken right yeah. you know just leave it right so um i think this rings true and you know maybe this is a good lead in to you know both of you know your previous answers both sasha mm-hmm. and peter which is you know why are organizations you know thinking about making this move is it is it really to kind of stay up with the way the industry is going with kubernetes like you know do they want to have a platform you know in, in this you know new platform engineering term that we're thinking about mm-hmm. that can support virtual machines and vms or what's what's really the value of moving uh, away from a, a tool like a vmware to something like openshift with vms that yeah. you know you're yeah. maybe seeing the most 
Yes, so I think we talked a lot about it, but if I have to sum it up, so the number one thing, like if you think about anything is things start out as products and they become features over time. Yeah, yeah like okay. that's what we feel like now we have a unified application platform and uh, you can take examples from your day-to-day -day world, right? So you don't need to manage uh, silos. You have just one thing to manage. So that attracts people a lot. Sure. Mm -hmm. The other one is there are like clear mandates to companies about modernizing their infrastructure, going into a cloud native world, going into hybrid. And as they look at that, uh, again, as I said, like if they only look at greenfield applications, yeah, that doesn't give them much value, right? So mm -hmm. that's why they're going back and looking at what exists today. And then I do feel like some of the things that happened in the industry where clearly there wasn't enough value for virtualization players just to be pure virtualization players and mm -hmm. they're starting to get bought out. So the companies that rely on them are getting a bit edgy. Like, am I really doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. Is this an opportunity? Like switching has a cost, right? So yep. if I just uh, even go from Android to Apple, it's going to make me learn a bunch of new stuff. So why would I do that is for whatever reason it is, when I go to a new platform, I want to make sure I'm not just doing it just to save a few dollars. I am with something that's going to keep me happy for the next 20 years. So that's what we are seeing. No, that makes sense, right? Like the the value has to be worth it. Like the value of the new solution has to be worth it. And uh, I agree, right? The There is benefits to having a unified platform where you can manage VMs and containers and follow these new principles that you guys discussed, right? Like if I want to use GitOps for my new applications, why not try to implement some some of that into my virtualization layer as well and see if, if it works for my VM workloads. Uh, but okay, so now let's go into those details actually, that we promised. If I could extend on that a little yeah, bit, please. it actually is about how you use it, not about the technology, right? Like anybody that thinks, oh, I'm going to run VMs and containers and my life will be better, like <laughs> take your hands off the keyboard. Yeah, exactly. But let me give you a little history <laughs> lesson, right? Which is, Agile software development for developers yeah. has been going on for what, close to a decade now, right? It started with Maven and Gradle and, you know, Java-ish kind of stuff. But the idea of a fast iterative loop, that's been around for a while now, right? Mm -hmm. Kubernetes just makes it easier. So all the software developer guys have had these benefits for, you know, over a decade now. The infrastructure people are stuck with pretty much what they built by hand. Yep you know, in their vSphere environments, right? Which, yes, there are other virtualization platforms and technologies, but let, let's face it, right? Like, that's yeah. the standard. But now, okay, I want to use a declarative way to roll out, um, you know, using something like zero-touch provisioning, mm -hmm. which is the ability to, it's essentially GitOps to roll out hardware, which is, yep. right now it's all telco and edge stuff, but you know what? You can use that same technology to lay out a rack full of data center and, you know, everything's declarative. It doesn't drift. And if you want to change something, you check code in, it gets reviewed and automatically tested and rolled out. Yeah. And I, I that's think a different way, that's a different way of a, a different way of operating. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I even would say we've 
you know, we've seen a trend with uh, a lot of newer startups that are kind of taking both the infrastructure piece mm-hmm. and the software piece now and kind of cramming them together yep. in a single abstraction where, you know, they they basically let you point at what you want to deploy and they'll go ahead and take care of everything from, you know, zero touch provisioning to deploying your app as, app as well instead of a single sort of control plane, uh, which, you know, really just drives, I think, at, again, the um the goal of faster loops right um mm-hmm. and ultimately to your point it it really comes back to still how you're organized yourself as a yeah. team right and culture and and being able to support that kind of rollout right and and let me use the example of releases right it's not just faster loops it's smaller increments right mm-hmm. which a traditional virtualization platform your life cycle major releases are every 18 months to two years and a couple of months in between patches, right? Something like Kubernetes drops, actually used to drop four times a year and people are like, okay, yeah. can you slow it yeah. down a little? <laughs> right, so Kubernetes drops three times a year. Mm-hmm. And then on the OpenShift side, we do Zstreams weekly, right? So every sure. week there's, you know, hey, there's a dozen bug fixes in this mm-hmm. and you can take them or not. Um, but yeah, just rolling forward on an incremental basis is, literally implicit to the platform. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. So now let me get into the details. Like I know we, we promised our listeners that, right? So mm-hmm. how does Qbert actually work? Like if I, we all know that we runs on Kubernetes, but does it have its own custom resources or CRDs available? Does it run as a pod or there's a new VM object like Peter can, or, or Sachin, like, can you talk about like how it actually works? I can. So, okay. and this is the interesting part because People are like, well, KVM VMs and pods and all that. Do I have to create a container? Put like, no. So virtual machines and Kubernetes are good citizens of the Kubernetes platform. Okay. Right. So they're first class objects. Yes, we do use CRDs and it's an we use an operator, but you operate on virtual machines. You say create a VM from a template. Do the put these kind of disks in it, you know, set it this kind of memory. Everything, everything is familiar to you. And then the Kubernetes stuff happens underneath. Right. So let's use two basic examples. Right. How do you get your storage? Yeah. In the old world, uh, let me compare and contrast. You would you would get a massive LUN from your storage team. You know, you put in a ticket a couple of weeks later, you'd get this LUN and you put it in and then you'd put a a data store on it, right? Mm-hmm. And now you as the admin have to pay attention. How many VMs do I put in that data store? Am I running out of space? Is it performant enough, right? That's barbaric, right? Like, I don't want to do that. I just want to manage. I was going to say, I think people are cringing at the fact yeah. that you said two weeks later, you get your, your lung. But... Well, I, I, actually, I'm, I won't name the company. <laughs> We've had a customer, you know, customer say to us, "Look, mm-hmm. I need you to be able to zero this out when I when I want to when I yeah. when I unallocate it." And we're like, "Why? Just destroy it." He's like, "No, because once a storage team gives me the LUN, I never give it back to them. Yeah. I just have to wipe it out and then I reuse it. <laughs> it becomes your pet." Yeah, like okay. So you want me to put in a product feature because of your organizational deficiency? <laughs> That's a good one there. So now let me tell you how it does work um, in Kubernetes. Kubernetes actually has a very strong storage abstraction called CSI, the Container Storage Interface. And what's very cool about that is it's a set of APIs uh, and definitions that say, okay, 
here's how you provision storage. You get uh, persistent volumes and you get them through persistent volume claims, right? So in our world, it's a one-to-one -one relationship. So every virtual machine disk is a PV uh, that's claimed through a PVC and you don't have to worry about it. Right. You get that it's self, right? Kubernetes is self self-service, right? So I yep. go and I I instantiate this virtual machine. It will go request it from whatever storage classes. And this is the other cool thing. Kubernetes has this idea, which, you know, if you compared it to something traditional, it would be like storage-based policy management, mm -hmm. which is it's declarative. Tell me, is this fast storage? Is this bronze, silver, or gold? How often is it backed up? Right. Well, Kubernetes has that. You say, um, let's use an example, um, say a Dell array, right? Where you say, hey, um, and, and by the way, there's like many to choose from, <laughs> but let's just pick one like a, a PowerFlex, which is mm -hmm. the new software to find stuff, right? You can go create a couple of different storage pools within that mm -hmm. and expose them as storage classes in Kubernetes. And then when you create your VM, We'll either use the default one or whatever storage class you tell us. Yep. Now, a couple of things happen there. One is storage is no longer your problem as a VI administrator, because how much capacity is in that uh, storage pool? Mm -hmm. um, how is it replicated? You know, how many, how, uh, how redundant is it? How is it backed up? Like, that's not your problem anymore. There's a professional, you know, that's managing the storage part of the Kubernetes cluster. Right. You as a VI admin don't have to worry about any of that anymore. So networking is very, and, and oh, let me finish on the storage side. Yeah. Um, so there's really two classes, right? One is your traditional vendors, right? Uh, NetApp, Hitachi, Dell, mm -hmm. uh, Hewlett Packard, and gosh, I'm probably leaving somebody out, but all of the traditional uh, array vendors have CSI operators and drivers mm -hmm. sure. that connect directly to their storage, right? So yep. iSCSI, Fiber Channel, uh, NFS. Um, and then there's, and that's one class and they work fine with virtual machines, right? So Qvert uh, does that. And then um, there's another class, which I would consider cloud native, right? Mm -hmm. And that could be um, something that either runs inside the Kubernetes cluster, yep. right? like say Portworks, um, or LinStore, there's a couple of uh, storage OSs, another one, um, uh, and then OpenShift Data Foundation. Or you can actually have an external cluster, like uh, like an external Ceph cluster mm -hmm. that you can expose storage into. Sure. Once you make those connections into the Kubernetes cluster with a storage class, you can expose uh, uh, request data, request volumes from it uh, directly. Yep. So networking is very similar, right? So, um, you know, there, there's actually multiple <laughs> there's multiple choices for networking, right? So, sure. On the OpenShift side, right, you can use uh, the OpenShift SDN, uh, mm -hmm. which was our default up until a while ago. Now we've released uh, OVN Kubernetes, right? Which again, that was the essentially the networking stack from OpenStack, okay. uh, but it's very capable. Um, it's now the default for OpenShift. Right. And you can you can deliver your and plumb your virtual machines into that. The very cool part is Linux networking is very capable. And in the past, you know, a lot of IF config and a lot of it was just messy. Right. And at some point, somebody said, hey, we should make this declarative. And this was even before Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're going to create network manager, which is exactly that. It's a declarative way to say, I 
take these physical things that you find and carve them up this way, VLANs, bridging, sure. bonding. Um, it's all declarative. And it turns out there's actually an operator for that, right? So you can actually teach Kubernetes mm-hmm. how to lay out, how to use Network Manager to essentially configure your entire network in the cluster, right? And if you don't like either one of those, you can pick one of the CS- CNI vendors, right? So let's see, there's uh, Cisco ACI has a, a CNI yep. interface, um, uh, Tigera Calico, mm-hmm. uh, Thilium. Yep. And this is the cool part is like now that you buy this thing, they all have interact. They all have um, integrations into Kubernetes. You don't have to do it. You just go into the catalog, download the operator and tell it how you want it to configure it. And boom, your Kubernetes can speak, you know, isovalent. Mm -hmm. I know that's the great part about having standards, right? Like you have that, you spoke about the CSI standard, as long as every vendor complies with that, it works out of the box with not just pods, but also Qbert VMs. Same thing with CNI. As long as you are compliant with the CNI standard, you can bring in your Calicos or Cilium meshes. And then if you wanted to do, I didn't know Cisco ACI had a CNI plugin. So that's something new I learned today. They absolutely do. And now the interesting part is virtual machines are part of the Kubernetes end-to-end testing. And Mm -hmm. some, some of the testing is more complete than others, right? So in the CNI testing, we actually spin up two VMs and we connect them together. Um, the storage one, we need a little bit of work there. Um, I, I do want to touch one more thing on the on the VM part. Sure, um, yeah. So the interesting part is KVM is super capable, right? You can create a VM with hundreds of vCPUs and terabytes of memory and you know stick something like SAP HANA inside of it. Mm-hmm. You can do that on multiple Red Hat platforms. Yep. Those capabilities exist on OpenShift, right? Yep. So from a performance point of view, for a similarly configured hardware, you should expect performance parity for something running something like on RHEL or Rev, mm-hmm. right? And then if you need to do anything like I've got a fat NUMA server, right? And I've got a I've got a database that I want to map, uh, you know, map to memory map it across a couple of different NUMA zones, you absolutely can do that as well. Um, GPU enabled stuff, you got, you know, you got big fat GPUs in your servers that you want to connect to your virtual machines. You can either do that directly through a PCI pass through, mm-hmm. or, um, there's actually a vGPU operator that can actually slice up a big nice. fat GPU okay. to different virtual machines. So a lot of the capabilities, the QMUK, the QMUK KVM capabilities that exist on other platforms mm-hmm. also exist on OpenShift. Got it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's super powerful. And I want, you know, I want to take a stab at sort of reconnecting all the dots that you just laid out for us a little bit. I um, mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Qvert as a technology QMU, that gets basically installed to the uh, base nodes, right, where applications are going to run. Um, and then you have a networking and storage component. That networking, as you said, allows the VM to communicate with other containers, with, you know, get hooked up to services and OpenShift mm-hmm. or Kubernetes and, and that that kind of thing. And then the storage component, um, I'm guessing, has both sort of the concept of a root disk, which is like your operating system, um, and then <clears throat> sort of potentially also using the same CSI components for uh, a data disk. So if you had an application in your VM, 
that needed uh, space to write uh, that mm -hmm. you have those components. So there's sort of an infrastructure piece that you know is installed, and then you have sort of the networking storage components that are kind of also tied together with OpenShift or Kubernetes. Is that sort of summing up? That's exactly right. Let me make a minor uh, okay, yeah, please. technology <laughs> change. So uh, Qvert requires bare metal servers. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So what actually happens is just as RHEL is a KVM hypervisor and Rev is a KVM hypervisor and OpenStack is a, is a hypervisor, uh, all type zero, um, the, the Kubernetes node running on bare metal is the hypervisor. So there's mm -hmm. nothing to install, right? Linux Linux already knows how to run VMs. Like that right. comes that way out of the box. Yeah. When you install the Kubert operator, what you're installing is the uh, CRDs and the APIs to actually manage and create VMs on that platform. But the actual technology to run KVM is literally baked into the Kubernetes node. Right, gotcha. makes sense. Okay, so I, talking about like I'm I'm glad that you brought up terms like Numa uh, Numa zones because I'm pretty sure like VMware admins that have gone to VM worlds for years definitely will feel more comfortable now that you have listed those technologies, <laughs> <laughs> especially the vGPU operator and splicing up your uh, NV uh, GPUs. That that would that is awesome. Um, my like one small follow up question was: Does this support all guest OSs? Can I do Windows Server? And I know obviously we can do Linux based, but I, my question was around Windows Server, right? Like, can we bring on those workloads as well? Absolutely. So KVM can actually run Windows, Linux, you know, RHEL, Ubuntu, CentOS, you know, whatever flavor you want. Um, it'll run there. Um, the only, I wouldn't say trick, but the only thing you need to remember is Cumu actually supports two different machine types. Um, mm -hmm. There's the older i440FX, which I don't know why I named that, but it's... <laughs> but we'll so, put it in the show notes, don't worry. Yeah, Hubert <laughs> actually only managed, uh, works with uh, works with Q35, which is a, a more modern uh, virtual machine hardware type. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, and that's what you want to be using anyway. So as long as you can deploy your your operating, install your operating system on, um, on a Q35 machine type, which it, the answer is almost always yes. Yep. You can run uh, Windows, you know, now, here's the interesting part. Um, uh, Windows uh, or at, at, at Red Hat, you know, we validate the platform as part of OpenShift, right? Yep. Um, so we actually go through the Microsoft has a validation program. It's called uh, uh, the Windows Server Virtual Validation Program, SVVP. Mm -hmm. And we do that for every Red Hat platform. So RHEL, Rev, OpenStack, and now OpenShift. So we run through that entire test suite in Windows VMs on OpenShift. Mm -hmm. all pass. It's actually a release criteria for us. Yeah. Passes and you go, you can actually go to the Microsoft site and say, look, OpenShift is validated. Um, and what that means from a commercial point of view is, you know, as long as you're running Windows Server 2012 R2 and later, and you have a problem with it, you know, and that's like, you know, SharePoint, SQL Server, uh, you know, Windows Desktop, yeah. 10, 11, uh, you can, and you have a problem, you can either call Wind, uh, Microsoft or you can call Red Hat, either one, and you're fully supported. Got it. That's, yeah, that's, awesome. that's, that is very powerful. And I, I feel uh, like, you know, the, the more that we get into this, the more it starts to feel like 
you know, um, that you could easily see this as a reason, right? If you were on, on the edge before of, of should I be running VMs yeah. in my Kubernetes infrastructure, OpenShift infrastructure, it sounds more and more like something I'm used to and sort of like if I was a VMware, uh, sort of used to using those. And, and I think on that note, since we haven't kind of dove into sort of the beyond day two or sort of, you know, the basic use case is, you mm-hmm. know, if I'm used to so using sort of uh, vSphere and, and things like vMotion or mm-hmm. vSphere HA, you know, how do, um, you know, the OpenShift and, and Kubernetes sort of QVert integrations line up with those types of features that might be seen as sort of, you know, advanced, you know, topics? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, uh, uh, vMotion or live migration is is not advanced. It's actually literally the <laughs> it's it, it's table stakes for a virtual platform. Sure. Right? Sure. If you can't do that, like you can't call yourself a virtualization platform. That's right. But you know, as most people say, hey, but if you're running a pod on a host and you want to run it somewhere else, you don't move the pod. You just kill it and start it somewhere else. Um, so we actually do that for you. Right. Remember when I said all of the Kubernetes-ness is handled for you? So mm-hmm. you say, hey, I want to I want to migrate this VM from this node to that node. We'll actually start, and it's the same technology that you use on other platforms, right? We will start a pod on another target node, and we will start streaming the running VM and the memory over there. Yep. You'll need shared storage, right? So you need to be able to connect the the PVs on the different hosts, yep. mm-hmm. and we'll stream it over there while the VM continues to run. So this then this is how live migration works on every Linux platform. Yep. And when you're ready to go, um, and all the memory and data is over there, it's converged. Then we'll actually stun the VM, start running it on the target system, and then delete and disconnect the pod over there. And obviously, the storage is moved over, right? So. Mm-hmm. The QMU KVM process is the piece that handles the the actual mutex of mm-hmm. you know who's writing to the disk. Yep. So the cool part is is I've just described something that's actually incredibly technical, but you can migrate multiple VMs at a time. You can monitor their progress. You can cancel a migration at any time. But again, in Kubernetes style, you as an admin don't need to worry about that. So say. I want to upgrade my Kubernetes cluster, right? And over-the-air updates will automatically roll out through your cluster. Mm-hmm. The Kubernetes upgrade operator will go, hey, um, I need to cordon off and drain this node, right? And every VM will get a notice like, you need to be running somewhere else, right? And as long as the live migration, uh, the the uh, run strategy is set to live migrate, mm-hmm. it'll exactly start doing that um, in batches if you wish. And then when all the VMs are drained off of that, it'll upgrade that node, reboot it, and it'll come back up and rejoin the cluster. Right? And you'll do that through every node, yep. every worker node in your Kubernetes cluster. That's awesome. I and think I, uh, it's, to a prep, good, it's a good citizen of the Kubernetes platform. Uh, to prep for this uh, episode, right? I was uh, going through and asked an OpenShift admin uh, YouTube stream, and they did an episode on Kubert, I think two, three months back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one thing that I really liked was live migrations are also can also be defined through YAML files. Like I can have, uh, is that correct? Like, yeah. Okay. So I can have the VMs and then tell them, okay, this is when I want to live migrate. So I don't have to go to the UI. I can still keep using the Kubernetes constructs and my favorite YAML files to do live migrations. 
Right. And we, we sort of skated past the, you know, what happens when a Kubernetes worker node fails, like right? a physical yep. host goes down. Right. So we've actually built technology into uh, Kubernetes to do this, that normally Kubernetes takes like five minutes to figure out that a node's not yep. responding. Yep. Well, that's not quick enough for VM workloads, right? Like <laughs> you got a you got a database that people are waiting to get into, mm-hmm. right? Now the thing's down, right? Because the VM is not running anymore. Um, we actually have an operator that will detect the node is down. It will fence it, make sure that it's powered off or you know disconnected from the cluster, um, and then restart those workloads elsewhere, right? So usually within sixty seconds. Again, it's the same you know, failover technology that we use on platforms like Rev and OpenStack, um, just running on a Kubernetes platform. Um, One other thing I did, we kind of skated around the storage thing too. Um, uh, Ryan, I think you mentioned this. This is something that's kind of cool and different, and I think it's worth mentioning. Sure, please. So normally, you know, you as an admin would go build I have golden images and I mm-hmm. build them and, you know, I got a process. I have a, I have PowerShell or Python script that does this and it puts it in a data store and I do yeah, stuff yeah. with it. Sure, you could do that with QVert, but we actually have something a little more clever, right? We actually can create virtual machine templates that have boot sources that exist in the cloud, right? So like yeah. RHEL, there's actually RHEL images that are in mm-hmm. the cloud, QCOW2, that you literally free and downloadable anywhere. Right. So you say, okay, that's I want to use that for my boot source. Mm-hmm. And what will happen is we'll go create the template, we'll download the cloud image and make it available to the cluster. And you every VM that you build for that template will use that latest image. Then there's a cron job that we create that runs in the background and checks, you know, to see if that yeah, image yeah. is updated. Mm-hmm. And if it is, like say you're running rel 9.0, and 9.1 comes out, we'll go out and we'll grab that. And we'll, we'll or, you know, ZStream comes out for a rel yeah, image. Yeah. We'll grab the updated image, update the boot source, and then any new VM that you create from that template will automatically get an update, the updated boot source without the operator doing anything. It's That's a self-service cool. platform. Yeah. Very cool. And so all of this catalog that you have built, does it have to be on customers' premises or customers' OpenShift clusters or only the images that they need can be pulled down uh, as these boot volumes? Um, it, you can do it either way, right? You, okay. can, you can bring everything down and cache it locally or you know, if, you, if you've got a strong enough inter and a redundant enough inter- yeah. internet connection, you can leave them up there. Gotcha. Um, our experience though is most customers, especially in the financial and government Mm-hmm. Uh, places either use a proxy because um, they don't allow their Kubernetes <laughs> clusters to right. talk to the internet. <laughs> they <directly>. yep. <laughs> yeah, that's actually better that way. Um, but OpenShift itself has the ability to create a, a local mirrored cache okay. of everything that's up on the internet. So you go create that that's now disconnected from the internet and you can deploy anything based on that. Okay. Gotcha. And since you hinted at customers, right, uh, that brings me to my next question. Like, are there any uh, case studies or success stories that you can share where customers are using VMs on OpenShift in production and running this container plus VMs side by side on the same infrastructure stack? I think this is a very appropriate question because we have Red Hat Summit coming up. 
Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Red Hat Summit, actually, we have uh, at least three sessions that are focused on OpenShift virtualization. So Israeli Ministry of Defense is going to talk about their implementation of their private cloud. Mm -hmm. 20,000 plus active users, mm -hmm. they needed a 5.9 subtime. And the reason they went here is to increase reliability through automated processes, component decoupling, and then implementing their governance. So a lot of stuff that Peter just mentioned to you, yeah, customer actually is going to talk about that. We have a customer on the edge front, uh, National Oceanographic, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to say NOAA, but not every. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so they analyze weather data uh, to help pilots know when it's safe to fly. And of mm -hmm. course, you get all these Twitter alerts and also they have like 150 clusters. They're moving them to OpenShift virtualization. They'll talk about that. Uh, Morgan Stanley has talked about previously about OpenShift virtualization. They'll uh, continue to talk about where they're on this journey on the unified application platform. Mm -hmm. And then public reference on our website itself, we have a very interesting customer uh, which has an online classified site uh, called Cybindin. Mm -hmm. uh, and people in US may not have heard about them because they're based out of Turkey, mm -hmm. but they have like 58.1 million monthly active users oh, wow. from the last time they reported when they did the case study. Yeah. And 12.7 billion page views, 5 million active listings. So it's kind of like an eBay okay. uh, mm -hmm. plus uh, Craigslist combined. And they are like a 24-7 operation. So they moved uh, their whole three-tier application onto uh, OpenShift virtualization. And now they're actually taking their front end. So the stuff that Peter was talking about, uh, you take your front end and containerize it. Mm -hmm. It's actually happening. So that's actually one of the things which we did want to talk about a little bit is mm -hmm. we talk about uh, containerizing as the reason to go to OpenShift or to Kubernetes. That's not necessarily true, but it's also possible, right? So uh, mm -hmm. if you're doing change management, easy stuff may be either to completely rewrite the application yep. or lift and shift. So OpenShift virtualization, you can think of it as a lift and shift operation. You know it works, just get it in there. Yeah. And if you are like not feeling like doing anything more, it's still going to run as a VM. Mm -hmm. But if you really think you want to add more agility to your processes, like you want to change your uh, shopping cart uh, on a periodic basis or something by adding containers in there, it's all free game at that time, right? So that's some of the advantages people get going this way. And, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I was going to say, if um, you know, since you mentioned Red Hat Summit, I know Bob and I will both be there. Will you both be there as well? Yeah, Peter is actually based in Boston, so he'll be there, there and uh, I'll have another person. So yeah, definitely catch up. And uh, again, we are working with all our partners and mm -hmm. both of you are in companies we love. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, we'll, def we'll definitely, I'll definitely be there. You know, it's what uh, the, the beautiful Boston Seaport District. Yep. But you know it's going to be long days, and and I'll we're there actually. OpenShift Commons is actually on the Monday, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you can find me there, or you know 
will will be uh, will be all through uh, the different sessions. There's actually a lab going on too. So this is the other thing that's important. Um, when we talk to customers about this, they still okay. Yeah, you convinced me. Or oh, those are beautiful slides, but I'm still not sure. The best way to do this is to get hands on with it. Yep. Right now, yep. okay, great. Now I need a bare metal Kubernetes cluster. <laughs> no, not really. So there's actually something uh, that Red Hat has built. It's called Cube by Example. Mm -hmm. it has these different learning paths in it, and one of them is Kubevert. Okay. Right. So so again, everything that we do has got a strong upstream component and is freely available for anybody to use. So you can come up to Kubert and, you know, uh, uh, participate as much or as little yep, as yep. you want. The other, uh, the other contributors and adopters you'll see up there like NVIDIA uh, and, you know, other, you know, what people can see, can consider competitors to Red Hat, yep. like Sousa, sure. the, the rancher, mm -hmm. uh, the harvester folks are there. Yep. Too. Nice. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, I do have one more question before we can get a dive into sort of, you know, the community, at, you know, where people can find more and that kind of thing. But uh, since you are coming at it from sort of a Red Hat perspective, and we talked a lot about Qvert and what it is, but, you know, maybe we can talk about the differences between what is, you know, Qvert and what is OpenShift VMs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it really is upstream project versus downstream product, right? Mm -hmm. the, the basic one is, is that you know, Red Hat is doing all of the integration and testing of the full OpenShift stack, right? So it's not like, hey, I could go download this Kubernetes thing and now I got to go build it myself. <laughs> sure. And by the way, we have customers that do the do-it-yourself thing and yep. they're actually quite good at it. Um, but the thing you got to remember is it's not the building it that's the hard part. It's the keeping that running for three to five years <laughs> and upgrading along the way. Red Hat takes that that part. Um, so all the certification for RHEL and uh, uh, virtual, uh, the Windows mm -hmm. Virtual Machine, that's built into it. Um, the one thing that you will find in OpenShift that is not going to be an upstream Qvert is OpenShift actually has a fairly capable and competent web console. So it's actually a, it's a UI that you can manage all of the things in OpenShift that I just described, right? Workloads, mm -hmm. pods, network, storage. And virtualization as well, right? So a lot of the panels and, and UI that you're used to, both in vSphere and Rev, mm -hmm. we've actually replicated a good part of that, you know, the useful parts of that in OpenShift. Got it. Yeah, and it. Sense. Believe, it or not, believe it or not, like I was using that today and like I, I could really connect dot uh, connect the dots when you were talking about certain features as I was going through it today. I am still having some issues. So I might reach out to you, Peter, but uh, <laughs> overall. That's fine too. And actually, I mean, one of the other cool things about the web console is there's this dynamic plugin concept. So uh, probably the best analogy loosely is, you know, sort of the vCenter plugin yep. um, technology. So I know, there's other, you know, there's other companies and ecosystem partners of Red Hat that are building their own plugins that manage their storage and yep. networking that plug directly into OpenShift. Got it. Makes sense. And speaking of uh, getting help or contacting someone, um, I know we talked about, you know, us being at Red Hat Summit and you'll be involved mm -hmm. there. I know right. uh, you mentioned Cube by example. Are there other mm -hmm. communities? I know I've seen uh, kubevert.io and there's a community there. What other sort of resources and sort of communities or events uh, can people find more information at? 
Sure. Um, the Qvert IO is obviously the place to land. Um, there's a couple of things there, right? You'll find obviously all the code and all the maintainers and stuff. Um, but we have an annual Qvert Summit, right? Which actually okay. runs alongside of KubeCon. Um, actually, no, it. I take that back. It it actually usually comes right just ahead of KubeCon uh, EU. Mm -hmm. So that's literally it's like KubeCon, but it's all about VMs, right? Yeah. And and everybody like NVIDIA shows up. Hey, let me tell you about all the cool new GPU stuff we got going. There's a lot of performance and scale stuff that goes on too. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, the Qvert Summit is, um, and those are all recorded too. So you can look yep. at them later. KubeCon itself, um, which is a massive conference. There's always at least three, you know, Qvert focused uh, things there. And it, Usually what it used to be just like, hey, let's tell you how cool it is to run VMs and Kubernetes. And now it's really morphed into VMs and something else. Like, hey, yeah. let me tell you about virtual machines and service mesh or virtual machines and pipelines, you know, using Tecton, right? It really is. If you're just talking about VMs and Kubernetes, that's kind of the boring part. That's um, the goal, right? Like we want to make infrastructure as boring as possible. <laughs> that's a, well, exactly, right? So the the other resource I can think of is uh, Kubernetes itself has a Slack channel that's open yeah. and there's a virtualization channel in there, which is where all the uh, uh, the Qvert folks hang out. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Ask and OpenShift admin. Yeah. Right? So that that's, again, a Red Hat streaming property, but Andrew, you know, very graciously lets us come on there every couple of months and talk about what new cool stuff is is going on. And it's fun because you get to watch what's happening and and it's not just, hey, let me show you how to do this, but like stuff kind of often breaks in there. And and you're like, well, how do they troubleshoot this? And then you can, you know, you can see us go through stuff. Um, and then I think actually as part of Qvert IO, there is a there is a, a Qvert Devel mailing list. I can't remember the exact name of it right now, but there's there's plenty of ways to get into it. Yeah, if yeah, you send absolutely. us the link, we'll include it in the show notes. Okay, we can yeah. do that. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Well, um, I think that's about the time we have today. I know we covered a lot of ground today. Um, so I appreciate you both, you know, coming on Kubernetes Bytes and talking about Qvert with us. I know uh, it'd be great to see you next week. Um, well, next week when this airs, it'll be this week. So it'll be great to see you at Red Hat Summit. I hope we do. And um, just with that, I want to thank you for being on the show. Appreciate Can it. Can I actually tease one last thing that yeah. uh, since we're we're under, you know, strict confidence here. Everybody on the internet's going to be able to see this. Um, what we've talked about today is, and what most people think about with Qvert is, hey, I run user workloads in in a in a Kubernetes cluster. Um, one of the other things that that's been kind of challenging uh, for OpenShift is running on different virtual platforms, right? And it can do that, right? You can run mm -hmm. OpenShift on vSphere, OpenShift on Rev, OpenShift on OpenStack. Yep. Um, we've got a capability that we actually announced in the last uh, what's new uh, in OpenShift 413, which is hosted OpenShift clusters. And what this is, is you've got a bare metal cluster and then using uh, uh, hosted control planes, you can actually spin up individual uh, OpenShift clusters that run inside of virtual machine worker nodes. Right? And now you can actually take a big fat server and slice it up and basically you know, clusters now become cattle themselves, right? And I can, you know, I can give this dev team their own OpenShift cluster and that dev team their own OpenShift sure, yeah. cluster. Um, it's a pretty powerful concept. 
it's in tech preview right now, mm -hmm. but look for it to be GA uh, as soon as we can make it so. Okay, so one follow-up question there, right? Uh, these OpenShift clusters that you are deploying on VMs, do they spin up their own control plane or is the control plane shared across all? It's Each one has its own host and control plane. And okay. Um, hosting control planes are a whole nother, we do have a whole nother hour topic on that. But right now, what you need to do is, you know, if you run OpenShift on a virtual platform, you create three VMs and shove yep. a control plane in it. Mm -hmm. Hosting control planes are, those now run in pods, so they're much smaller and more efficient, and you can actually run them in different places, right? So okay. I can actually take a central management cluster, run a multiple sets of hosted control planes on it that are all pod-based and manage multiple node pools of bare metal workers alongside it. Nice. Um, and the cool thing is, is that it's much faster, right? So spinning up an OpenShift cluster on bare metal, you know, it's about an hour, 50 minutes. Yeah. Spinning up a hosted cluster, 10 minutes. Ooh. Okay. That's awesome. Like not just for the amount of time that you will save, but also the resource utilization, right? That goes up because now control pin is running in pods. So thanks exactly. for sharing that. That's right. And the other benefit is, you know, that multi-tenancy of I can give a dev team their own cluster and they can have their own RBAC access to it, right? I don't mm -hmm. have to give them access to the bare metal cluster, but if they go in and they hork something up because they did something stupid, I'll just give them another cluster. <laughs> Yeah. Not that that ever happens. No, developers, <laughs> developers never mess yeah. up anything that you give them. Never. No. <laughs> no, okay. No, I guess to continue Ryan's thoughts, right? Like, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was this has been a great episode. Like, we go, went into so many different kinds of details. So I'm sure our listeners would appreciate, appreciate it as much as we do. So thank you. Thank you both. Thank Thanks you. for having us. All right. Well, that was a fun conversation with Sachin and Peter. I know it's something that I feel like I've been really wanting to dive into more and, mm -hmm. and really get more hands-on. I've, I've used it a little bit, um, but not nearly as much as I want to. What did you, what yeah. did you take away from it? No, that was a good conversation, right? Like, again, we started with the premise that, oh, are, are people really using this? And then obviously at the end, they're like, this has enough features that people are using, like people are already using it and people who are not are evaluating it and, and will end up using it. Uh, but I think my one key takeaway was, uh, or like one of the many <laughs> was, uh, organizations that are looking to modernize and start using Kubernetes don't have to worry about modernizing their whole application stack or whole estate, right? Like they can maybe modernize 10% of their applications right now, but they can still move or migrate everything over to Kubernetes or OpenShift. And then maybe gradually, maybe two uh, in, in the next two or three years, they can modernize the whole stack. But right now, this gives them a, that unified control plane. This gives them all the features that they were used to in their previous virtualization stacks. Many of them Peter listed out during the pod as well. And like allows organizations to take their time. They don't have to rush into these things and adopt technologies that they might not have expertise around. So this that felt like a good solution to have. And I think the second takeaway was like all the different features that Peter spoke about, right? Like the NUMA zones, the vGPU operator from NVIDIA are allowing GPU slicing. I know in the VMware ecosystem, which again, I used to work with a lot, yeah. that was, and those were like really important things that VM admins or virtualization admins needed. Like uh, you couldn't dedicate an entire GPU to a single VM. So you... Uh, VMware built that technology over years and uh, having that technology already built into OpenShift virtualization, I'm not sure about Kubert. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Peter highlighted that, but 
yeah having that already uh, built in that really helps people ease right like uh, ease their mind like okay the features that i expect are already available so i can mm-hmm. think about moving and not be worried worried about running these things in production so those were some of the takeaways that i had what about you ran yeah i i think building on top of that a little bit right the 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 part where we talked about not changing a workload if it's not broken, right? Yep. Um, having the ability, like you said, to kind of slowly move things over. It's not like you have to lift and shift everything you have in your VMware infrastructure over to OpenShift, but um, yep. or or just Kubert and Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you can take you know something like a you know old .NET application that the guys <laughs> the guy's gone. I think Peter said no. It doesn't. No one knows how to maintain yeah. it, but it's still mm-hmm. working, right? That's a perfect example of like you can move it over. You get all these enterprise features like yeah. live migration and and failover and those kind of things where you know you can keep things ticking along if you are modernizing that way or are moving you know your infrastructure and things like that. I think there's a really powerful piece of it. The other part, uh, the key takeaway that I got is it's it's not like this technology is really that new. It's really mm-hmm. uh, been trusted right qmu yeah. and, and kubert has been sort of um you know the back-end technology the pieces that make it tick have been around for a long time yep. um you know running virtual machines on linux and things like that so it's it's not a net new technology that i think people have to put their faith in it's more or less <laughs> like it's enabled now um as it always was in linux just through the kubernetes ecosystem yeah. right and i think that's a really powerful piece of it in sort of um, allowing yourself to kind of trust and, and use the workloads that way. Um, you know, it's it's kind of, Linux has always been there, so it's really mm-hmm. just the pieces are there and we connect your networks, uh, yeah. you know, through CNI, we connect stores through CSI. We have all these pieces that we're just kind of plugging together. Um, it's more involved than that, 100%. But, um, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm simplifying it way over, overly, but uh, the point is, is that I think that whole um, piece of it makes, I think, the trustworthiness of it um, and and sort of the ecosystem really being able to move fast. I feel like this this whole idea of running VMs on Kubernetes mm-hmm. was something I I felt like I was talking about as, as something new, and now I I feel like it's come to the point where it's like no, we're just doing it right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's moved very fast, so that's that's really exciting. And um, and I think yeah. uh, like uh, the sessions that Sachin highlighted for Red Hat Summit, right, or the customer case studies like Morgan Stanley yeah. and Defense Department of Defense in Israel, those guys are doing it in production today. So like exactly. I'm excited. Like I after yeah. the, uh, recording the interview section, I think I went back to my session catalog. I re- scheduled those sessions. I want to see what their challenges were and yeah. how they overcame those challenges. So again great stories a great piece of technology i love how it interoperates with kubernetes already like with csi cni so i don't have to change anything i don't have to change my networking providers don't have to change my storage providers everything just works and yeah there you go yeah exactly well you know what well well, maybe if we go to the sessions we'll go snag them and see if they want to come on the show and talk about for sure no, it's true. Um, yeah, I would love that. Um, all right. One thing we forgot to do, um, this Bob and I's fault, was we forgot to do our chat GPT question mm-hmm. of the, the week. And um, we're just going to do it here live yep. with us. Uh, and so the chat GPT question I asked basically for it to come up with a question based on sort of, you know, Kubernetes and, and containers, a fun one. We always mm-hmm. do fun. We don't want to do boring. So uh, the question I came up with was if virtual machines and containers had a talent show, Bob Nice. What unique skills would they showcase, and what do you? Who do you think would win? Uh, I, okay, so I have not looked at the answer, right? My <laughs> my guess would be like, okay, I, I don't want to talk about their individual skills, but they were both popular bands 
on, on their own now you okay. get to see like one show <laughs> where where they both perform so i think that i'm excited for that piece i don't know what chat gpt responded around that is like you're saying it's better together nobody <laughs> wins it's a tie yep. uh, you're very fair I like like from that. a user perspective I, i'll have more fun if both of them are performing together i don't have to buy two there tickets i don't have there to go, go to two different venues that's that's it for me <laughs> like give me a hockey game and a baseball game at the same time but you know we're working on it i just pictured the hockey the hockey rink inside of fenway um anyway moving on chat gbt answered its own question and it Mm -hmm. says in a talent show featuring virtual machines and containers each would showcase their own unique skills and here are some possibilities so it does Mm -hmm. go into unique skills okay virtual machines virtual machines might exhibit their talent for isolation and security they could demonstrate their ability to uh create complete and independent operating system Uh, environments juggling multiple applications Effortlessly, their talent would lie in maintaining strong boundaries and ensuring the stability of each virtual instance. Pretty fair, pretty yeah. fair assessment there. Mm-hmm. And then it says for containers, containers on the other hand would flaunt their agility and efficiency, and they could display their knack of of rapid deployment, quick scaling, and resource optimization. Their talent would be in seamlessly packaging application dependencies, allowing for easy portability across any environment. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, yeah. pretty valid I'm, answer. <laughs> I'm visualizing like an opera show going on with like strict rules and like a conductor guiding everything. And that's for VMs. And then containers being the trapeze artists and just jumping trapeze from each other. I like it. I like it. Uh, it. It does end with something here and it says, as for who would win the talent show, mm-hmm. it's a tough call. Uh, it would depend on the criteria set by the judges and the preferences of the audience. Nice. No shit. Um, but, uh, but both virtual machines and containers have their strengths in UKCs, making it a delightful competition filled with innovation and technical technological prowess. Nice. So actually, it came to the same conclusion you did, which is like, they're both great and it's going to be a great show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, there we go. Our talent show between virtual machines and container has been... Uh, you know, hook, line, and sinkered by ChatGPT. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, last shout out to, um, again, to Reddit Summit. This will come out mm-hmm. during Reddit Summit. And if you're there, come find us. Um, yep. uh, otherwise, that's all I had for today. How about you, Bavin? Yeah, let's, let's wrap this. All right, that brings us to the end of today's episode. I'm Ryan. I'm Bavin. And thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast.